Well, um, if you have your Bible still open here, we're in our series in 1 Corinthians. The last statement in chapter 12, uh, which you can see is kind of set off from the first statement in, in uh, verse 31, says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. That's the title of my message this morning, The More Excellent Way. The, the statement here at the end of chapter 12 must have gotten the Corinthians' attention. I mean, after all, think about what we've been through the last few weeks together in chapter 12. Paul had just built quite a case for spiritual giftedness in the church, right? After all, the whole trinity is involved in this gift giving. We saw in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, God the Father is involved, the Lord Jesus Christ is involved, the Spirit, all three are involved in this giving of spiritual gifts. It's important. The Spirit, in verse 11, tells us the Spirit chose which gifts to give to which individuals. So if you're following Jesus, if you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit is living within you, as verse 1 and 2 told us in chapter 12, if you are one that professes Jesus is Lord, if the Holy Spirit is in you, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit himself has chosen what gift or gifts to give to you. So it's not random. As we talked about last week, it's not a lottery system. It's not, you know, some people get the most important and you get the leftovers. The Spirit Himself has given you your gift. In fact, um, in thinking about the church as the body of Christ, which we saw in verses 12 to 27 of chapter 12, uh, God the Father actually arranged each member of the church himself, verse 18. He's the one that figured out where the ears and the eyes and the hands and the feet. He's the one that arranged it all. This is, this is management of the church body at the, at the highest possible level. God the Father is engaged in this. And the purpose for these spiritual gifts is noble. Verse 7 is for the common good. We talked about how it's to build up the body of Christ. Verse 25 and 26, when one member suffers, we all suffer. We care for one another. This is what the body is all about. This is what spiritual gifts are designed to do. Paul even goes so far as in verse 28 to 30, he gave us a a list of the quote-unquote higher gifts. He tells the Corinthians and us in verse 31 to earnestly desire that our church, the Corinthians church and Heather Hills and all other Bible-believing churches, should desire that their church would have these gifts, these higher gifts. It didn't mean, we talked about this last week, it doesn't mean that the apostles and the prophets and the teachers were any better than anybody else in the assembly, in the body, but that these gifts that were given to the church were highly valued and essential to the growing of the body of Christ, to the equipping of the body of Christ. And so each church should earnestly desire that they have these gifts in their assembly. So doesn't it seem strange, after Paul spends all this time building this strong case for spiritual gifts, I mean, it starts at the top, and is coming down to all of us individually, doesn't it seem odd 
that after building a strong case for the recognition and use of spiritual gifts, that Paul would say this. There's something even better. There's something even better than this. Something that transcends spiritual gifts. Something different from spiritual gifts. A way of life that each Christian is called to. You know, many Christians and non-Christians alike are very familiar with the words of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Sometimes it's called the love chapter of the Bible. It's beautifully written. It's elegant. It's a set of words about the importance and definition of biblical love. You can find many of these verses that we're going to look at in the next couple weeks, you can find many of these verses plastered all over paintings and placards and, and posters almost anywhere. You can hear them quoted, in, certainly in church assemblies, at funeral homes, uh, in wedding parlors, and even at political events. This chapter is hallmark ready. And yet, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, this chapter, in its proper context, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, is actually a chapter not of love, but of condemnation to the Corinthians, and perhaps to us too, as the Spirit uses His words to make us more like Jesus. Paul's whole point in chapter 13 is that the greatest indication of spiritual maturity is not your spiritual gifts and how powerful they are or how wonderful you are at using them. It's actually your love. This morning, I want to simply introduce the subject as Paul does here in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. That's all we're going to look at this morning. We're going to do a little Bible study together, okay? And we're going to see what Paul means by a more excellent way. You ready? All right, if you're taking notes, here's the first point. The more excellent way is better than tongues. Look at verse 1. In verses 1 to 3 here, you should notice there are five statements that start with if. In logic, we talk about if-then statements. If this is true, then this is true. And that's what we have in these first three verses. There are five statements that start with if. Look at the first one here in, in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Why does Paul begin with the gift of tongues? Probably because it was the gift that was most prized by the Corinthians, as we'll see when we get to chapter 14. This would explain why Paul downplays the gift of tongues in every list in chapter 12, in in verse 10, in verse 28, in verse 30. Tongues, or the interpretation of tongues, comes at the end of every list that he gives. In fact, in chapter 14, he's going to tell the Corinthians that prophecy is actually better than tongues too. So we think that the Corinthians 
really valued this gift of speaking in tongues. They thought it was just the cat's meow. If you could do this, you were, you were in the in crowd. We also notice right from the start of the chapter that Paul seems to be speaking in hyperbole. Exaggeration. He, he says, look what he says, he might speak in the tongues of men and of angels. We could translate this, and even of angels. Many, now, many people have said, aha, here is the modern day speaking in tongues, the language of angels. That's why the gibberish that we hear from charismatic churches today isn't like any known human language because it's not a human language it's angel language says it right here angel language unfortunately people taking that position are completely missing the point paul is making he's not elevating tongues at all and we don't know by the way of any angelic language in the bible There's no special angelic language that we know of. And a good rule of Bible interpretation as you study your Bibles is that we don't build a doctrine, we certainly don't build a big speaking in tongues type doctrine on a single verse, especially a verse that is unclear or that might be taken out of its context. We always compare Scripture to Scripture. We always see what the Bible says as a whole about a subject. And so we don't know of any special angelic language. And I would suggest to you that it's much better to understand what Paul is saying here as exaggeration. And I think I can prove that to you in a minute. So Paul's saying, if I speak in tongues... Now remember, the speaking in tongues was a supernatural gift, right? When, the, when those men and women on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit and they're outside, right, speaking in tongues and all these people in Jerusalem have gathered to find out why there's this hurricane, you know, sound of a hurricane running through their city. And they all come together and they find these 120 that were in the upper room. They've come down and they're all speaking in tongues. These are people who are speaking in a language that they did not know. You know, it would be like if I started uh, talking in French, which... Trust me, I don't speak in French. I've tried. It's bad. I don't speak French. But if I started speaking in fluent French right here, right now, you might say, gift of the Spirit, supernatural, miracle. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 2. These people were speaking in known languages. How do we know that? In Acts chapter 2, they tell us that these people from all over the world who were gathered in Jerusalem for this feast, they say... We hear them speaking in our own native languages. We know they were human languages, not the gibberish that you hear on TV or at a charismatic or Pentecostal type church. So so I think what Paul is saying here is, if I speak in tongues, that supernatural gift that was still working in the early church at this point, if I speak in tongues, or if I speak like the angels speak... I think he's showing exaggeration. He's he's saying, even if believers speak in the most exalted language known or imaginable, if they don't have love, it's a big problem. Do you guys remember the old Charlie Brown cartoons? I always thought it was funny when 
Charlie Brown would be sitting in school, and the teacher would be up there, you know, and all we would hear in the cartoon was, wah, 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 wah. It was a trombone, you know, wah, 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 wah. And now, 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 now think about that from the perspective of the teacher, the poor teacher, you know. The teacher, for all we know, the teacher might have been an amazing teacher, right? The teacher could have had an incredible intellect. He, he or she might have had an Ivy League education. But all Charlie heard was, wah, 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 wah. Tuning out the teacher kind of like what some of you are used to doing on Sunday morning. But this is worse than that. This is worse than that. It's not hearing a wah, 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 wah. No, no, no. Paul says speaking in tongues without love is not just sounding like nonsense. It's sounding like a crashing symbol, irritating, annoying, But it's even worse than that. Paul doesn't actually say that it's his speaking in tongues that sounds like symbol crashing, does he? Look at the verse. He says it's he himself. Do you see it? We could translate this, I have become only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul's point is this. The Corinthians' gifts, spiritual gifts, are being contradicted by their lives. They're speaking in tongues without love, only to be seen by others, only to be seen as prominent, only to boast, is leaving a permanent effect on them. And it's diminishing their value. It's transforming them into something that they should not be. A a distracting, annoying sound. And their spiritual gift, as wonderful as it is, coming down from God himself, is worthless. If not exercised in love. Go on to the second point. The more excellent way is better than prophecy and faith. Verse 2. In verse 2, he keeps the same line of thinking going on. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. There's two more of our if statements in here. Do you see them? Dealing with the gifts of prophecy and faith. Now, verse 2, I think, helps us understand that Paul is exaggerating in this introduction. Because, uh, remember the tongues of angels? Because here he describes prophecy as understanding how many mysteries in knowledge? All. I know it all. And, And how about that gift of faith? It can remove mountains. Now, we know this is exaggeration because in verse 9 of the same chapter, Paul tells us that we only prophesy and know in part. Right? 
But here Paul says he could know all mysteries, all knowledge. The faith uh, here, like back in chapter 12 and verse 12, is not saving faith. It's not something that we all have. It's a special gift of faith, a spiritual gift of faith with obviously spectacular and exaggerated power. You can remove mountains, Paul says. I don't know, some, well, most of you um, younger people don't remember this unless you've seen YouTube videos, but magician David Copperfield, one of those old magicians now, um, back in 1983 made the Statue of, Li- of Liberty disappear. Yeah, it was on TV. He, he put a, a sheet up, and then when the sheet came down, it was gone. And then he made it reappear. Well, let me tell you what. No one, not even David Copperfield, has ever moved a mountain. That's exaggeration. That's extreme. And again, the, Paul, the point that Paul is making is not, whoo, you got prophecy? Good for you. You've got faith? Well done. No. The point Paul is making is that even if I had these wonderful gifts, and they are wonderful. He just spent all of chapter 12 telling us they're wonderful, and they're for the building up of the church, and they're designed by God himself. If you have all these wonderful gifts maxed out in their power, I mean maxed out, without love, Paul says, I am nothing. All the person's accomplishments, all their gifts will be forgotten and are quite beside Paul's point. You know, this would have been a stunning statement to the Corinthians, right? I mean, they're thinking they're, they're pretty good because they got these gifts, you know. They're like, woo look at me. I got better gifts than you, you know. How about you? Is this a stunning statement to you too? Do you realize that if you're just going through the motions, using your spiritual gifts in the church, and maybe using them quite spectacularly without love, you are nothing. Let that sink in. It's not too good for your self-esteem, is it? But it's what Paul says is the truth. There's a third point. The way, the more excellent way, is better than philanthropy and martyrdom. Verse 3. The last two if statements, do you see them? Paul takes this point to the extreme. If I give away all that I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What may seem confusing about these last two statements is that giving away your possessions or sacrificing yourself for someone else seem to be the very definition of love. Don't they? But Paul argues otherwise. Paul is saying you could give away everything and yet do it without love. 
You know what came to my mind? Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember them? Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, they didn't give everything away, but they sold a piece of land, you'll remember, and they took the profits, uh, or at least they said they did. They kept some of the profits for themselves and told Peter that they were giving all the profits. And they're lying to God, and their attempt at self-promotion, look at us, cost them their lives. Obviously, their gift was not given in love. Self-love. Not love for the church. Not love for Christ. And then look at the ultimate act of love, it would seem. Delivering up my body to be burned. You may notice if you've got our ESV translation there, there's a footnote for this verse. And if you look down at the footnote, you'll see something like this. Some manuscripts deliver up my body to death that I may boast. That means that some of the old Greek manuscripts of this verse say boast instead of burned. It's a possibility. And it makes sense too, doesn't it, in light of what we've been talking about. They would give up their their bodies or their self-sacrifice in order to boast. Um, It does make sense. But the contrast with that boasting word and love seems too obvious to me. It seems too unloving to me. Burned is probably the right word. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you another reason why I think that, that burned is the right word here. This specific phrase, giving over one's body, that you see here, delivering up your body, that same phrase in the Greek language here in, in 1 Corinthians is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Now track with me here, right? I know I'm getting a little, you know, scholarly stuff here, but just track with me. So the Greek translation of the Old Testament was called the Septuagint, right? You've heard that before. So the, the, the Septuagint was the Bible that Jesus and his disciples knew, right? They, they, the language of the day was Greek, and that's what they used. In fact, Jesus quoted from the Septuagint many times in the Gospels. So the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's what I'm talking about. This phrase here in 1 Corinthians about giving over one's body to death is used one other time in the, Old, in the Greek Old Testament. Do you know where it is? Daniel chapter 3, verse 28 you know what's going on in Daniel chapter 3? There are three faithful Hebrew servants who are giving their bodies to be burned rather than worship and bow down the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the only other time that this phrase is used. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. We, lots, of, lots of times we know these phrases are used on purpose by biblical writers to make us think of other times to, in the Bible that a similar thing happened or occurred. So I think that this is the right word here, to be burned. Now, that's just an aside. It doesn't really have anything to do with the point. The result is the same, whether it's boast or burned, okay? And we could debate that with all the Bible scholars, and they, they can do that on their own time, right? 
But the result is the same. Paul says, you give away everything or you sacrifice yourself without love, and it's possible to do that, you gain nothing. Nothing. One way we can think about these if statements is this. In divine mathematics, five, five if-then statements, right? If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I have prophecy, if I have great faith, if I um, give everything away, if I deliver my body to be burned, five minus one equals what? Zero. Because the one thing is love. And if you don't have love, you're nothing. You gain nothing. You're just like a psh, 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 psh. I'm going to ask the praise team to return to the front. We're going to sing a final song here in just a minute. As they're coming, let's begin to think about application just for a moment. If Paul was addressing the modern church today, maybe he would be saying something like this. You Christians who prove your spirituality by the amount of theological information you can cram into your heads. I tell you, such knowledge by itself proves nothing. You can study the Bible all you want. You can cram all that knowledge into your head. If you don't have love, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you know. And, it, and, and, for, and I think he would tell the modern church, if you think that the Spirit shows up in your church assemblies just because you have a certain style of worship, maybe it's traditional. Maybe it's more modern. Maybe it's more formal. Maybe it's more casual. But you think, oh, I feel the Spirit. The Spirit is here because of the way I'm worshiping. I think Paul would say, are you expressing love in your worship to the Lord? Because without it, it really doesn't matter what you're doing or what you're feeling. You're spiritually bankrupt. And for you Pentecostals and Charismatics, I think Paul would say, who insist that speaking in tongues is a second work of the Spirit, a baptism of the Spirit, Paul would say, I tell you, if love does not characterize your life, there may not even be evidence that you've had a first work of the Spirit. And you can continue to develop that list to the modern-day church in your ABF classes today. Notice, though, that Paul is not depreciating spiritual gifts through all this. He, he, he's just refusing to recognize any positive exercise of spiritual gifts unless the gift is exercised in love. It's not spiritual gifts that are the problem. It's the love that we express them with and in 
toward Christ, toward each other. The better way, the more excellent way, the indispensable way for the Corinthians and for us too. What is that love? What does it look like? How do we understand it and live it out? That's for next week's sermon. So you'll have to come back for part two.